It's Adam Schefter Podcast with the NFL Draft getting closer. We sit down and talk to Jordan Palmer, the 33-year-old former NFL quarterback who now trains quarterbacks for a living out in California. And this year, trained both Sam Darnold and Josh Allen, who could wind up being, in one form or another, the first and second overall picks in the upcoming NFL Draft. And then we sit down with a man who is walking history, Gil Brandt. The 85-year-old former general manager of the Dallas Cowboys, who now works with the NFL, coordinates who comes to the draft, appears on Sirius Satellite Radio, and does all sorts of work in a Hall of Fame career that spans back to the 1950s. He has a wealth of information and perspective. But first, Jordan Palmer on the top-rated quarterbacks in this year's draft. Let's talk about your draft work and your work with quarterbacks. This past yeah. year, you've been doing that since 2014. I believe you started with Blake Bortles uh, at the Exos Draft Training Center in California. This year, you got to work with Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, who could become the first and second quarterbacks picked in no particular order in the draft here, the upcoming draft. What did you learn about Sam Darnold and Josh Allen? And let's go with Darnold first. Yeah, well, Sam, you know, I've known a long time. Uh, we met when he was young, I think he was 14 or 15, and um, by no means did I see a 15-year-old kid and go, that's going to be the first pick in the draft at all. But there was some things that were different about him. I mean, he, he didn't really, I, I noticed he didn't really feel pressure, and a lot of things that were important to kids his age weren't important to him. Um, he was just kind of thought work ethic and being a great teammate and winning was really important not social media and video games and uh, and hanging out. And so I, I love that that was his foundation. And then watching him really grow, I mean, you know, a lot of people think, a lot of people are waiting for him to be the top pick in the draft for two years now, but I just kind of watched him get a lot better every year. Uh, you know, he was in the Elite 11 with, I think it was Rosen's year, and um, he wasn't necessarily the guy that we were all penciling in. He was just a really solid dude who looked like he was going to be end up being really good and uh and, and that's exactly what's happened but uh, what i've learned with him is he's got a really high ceiling because he just gets way better every year and you know i know everyone was excited about his freshman year and the sophomore year he didn't win the heisman in the national championship which is what everybody expected him to do but his team was a lot worse and he like threw for more yards than anybody in USC history. So he just kind of, he has gotten better every year. Uh, but he's just really cool, calm, collective. And and football is just the most important thing in his life. And being great at quarterback is the only thing he cares about. And I think that that's actually a prerequisite to be a franchise guy. Uh, and so it's been a blast to, to spend as much time with him as I have. And we've shifted over into big brother, little brother mode just because the amount of time that I've spent with him over the years. Um and, uh, you know, he's like a part of my family now. It's really cool. Wow. And uh, my son, you know, calls him Uncle Sam. And I uh, just, you know, came to my son's birthday party. It's just, it's been really cool to to, um, uh, to play the role that I've been able to play uh, the last couple of years with Sam. And he's a guy that, in my opinion, maps out to be uh, all the things that you need a franchise quarterback to be. How about Josh Allen? You know, Josh, I, I haven't known as long. I, I met him a little over a year ago. And, and uh I had heard a lot of things about him, just the arm talent, the athletic ability, and the size. And he came to one of my QB Summit camps as a counselor last year. And uh, I have a camps where I have a bunch of high school guys come, and, and then I bring in a lot of the top college players as, as uh, counselors. And, 
and he, you know, he came as a counselor and, and, uh, I, I saw, you know, the arm talents, it's pretty undeniable. You see it right away. Uh, but I really gravitated towards the idea that, you know, this kid really is from a farm. He really is blue collar. We, you, we throw around the term blue collar when somebody has strong work ethic, mm-hmm. but growing up on a farm, that's the actual definition of blue collar. Right. <laughs> and we throw that term around that somebody has a air quotes here, blue collar mentality, uh, but it's not a mentality for him. It's just, it's this foundation to he is. And so completing tasks, fixing things, getting the job done by any means necessary, finishing your work and then going in for supper. Like that's the foundation of who this guy is. And I just think it's such a strong foundation for what's going to, what these young franchise quarterbacks go through, um, the ups, the downs, the chaos, the success, uh, the money, the fame, the pressure, the attention. Um, there's a lot of uh, things that happen to you and, you know, that are unfair that people say, no, it doesn't matter if it's unfair. We pay you so much money. Just deal with it. I know those things that these guys are going to go through. And I just think that his core group or his core foundation and who he is, is uh, really positions him well to, to deal with all of those stresses. And on top of that, he throws it on like anybody I've ever seen. Unlike anybody you've ever seen. Yeah, you know, I, I played with Carson in his prime for four years, and I played with Cutler, and I've uh, been around Jamarcus a lot. We were, we were ball boys through Elite 11 when we were younger, and Jamarcus and I came out this, together the same year, and I've been around a lot of these big arms. I, you know, I was around Stafford in high school a lot, and uh, he has the ability to, um, to effortlessly put um, way more than he needs to on the ball. And, but at the same time, he has the ability to control it. And, uh, it's not, he's not a fastball thrower. He has an amazing fastball, but he doesn't have to do that. He knows he doesn't have to use it. He's demonstrated that, you know, in Mobile, Alabama, as a senior boy, he had two touchdown passes that were not, you know, a laser between three defenders. It was layered over the top mm-hmm. with great touch and control. And, and we showed it in a uh, little bit in Indianapolis. We showed it a lot on his pro day, really showed, um, he got, got a chance to really show, the tempo and the trajectory and the pace of the ball uh, on his pro day. And, and he's got plenty of, of every throw on tape. And so, yeah, I think he's a really unique arm talent. So what do you say to the people who bring up the accuracy issues, the 56% completion percentage, and how that figures into what may be lying ahead in the future for him? Yeah, you know, it's very easy to get to look at college football as an even playing field where you say this guy's 56%, this guy's 66%. But the reality is, is the gap between good teams and bad teams, strong programs and young programs, um, is so different in college than it is in the NFL. Even last year, if the number one team in the NFL plays the 32nd ranked team in the NFL, every player on the field is an NFL player. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to say that I think the Hall of Famers in the NFL, the, the completion percentage was above 62%. So it's easier for us to look at a percentage in the NFL and say, you know, well, he's, he's 57, so that's low. Before, that's high. But in college, you know, in my opinion, Josh didn't play with a single player on his team who's an NFL player. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really play against a lot of guys who are NFL players. And if you look at the tape the way that I've looked at the tape, there's a lot of reasons why I think 56% was pretty impressive, mm-hmm. given the circumstances that he was in. And, and I've said this a lot this last month, in these types of conversations where there's two things happen on a completion. 
it's what the quarterback does, and it's what's happening on the other end of the throw. And I just think Josh had a lot of adversity in terms of the separation that his guys had um, and, uh, and the timing that he was able to throw it. He wasn't put in a position to be able to uh, – and he had a great coaching staff. He did a great job. I like their offense, all that. This isn't an indictment on anybody. It's just, uh, you know, in the NFL, you have to throw with anticipation. You have to expect receivers to get to a certain spot on time. And then when you're playing in man coverage, you expect certain routes to cre- and receivers to create separation on those routes. And I just don't think he had a chance to do either of those things in college consistently. So then he had to wait for the guy to get open and throw it to him. And then he throws it hard and it's hard to catch. And it was just kind of a a perfect storm of of putting him in a position to not have a high completion percentage, which is why a lot of times when I look at the 56%, there's times when I think it was actually impressive. Wow. Wow. So let's put you on the spot here. Let's pretend you're John Dorsey, and I'm sure you've been asked this a whole bunch but you're John Dorsey, you're the Browns GM, you have the number one pick, and you want to draft a quarterback. You know these guys, both of them, better than anybody. Which one are you taking? One. Yeah, I, you know, and it's so funny because I, uh, if I had an answer, I wouldn't give it. But I actually yeah. don't have an answer, right? I, I, I don't know. They're, they're different enough. And there's enough reasons why I think that Josh Allen is a can't-miss product it just there's things all these guys have to get better i mean we'll we'll never we can do this part you know we can talk on this every year and 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 if i'm training the top guys you know we can do this every year and i'm going to tell you every year these guys have so far to go right this isn't the sam or josh comment deshaun i thought last year had a long way to go and then he lit the league on fire i also actually think he still has a long ways to go but with Sam and, and Josh, you know, they, they both have a long way to go, so there's the, the precursor for that. Um, but there's so many things about Josh where I go, man, this is, like, more than you even need. And with Sam, I go, man, he doesn't even feel pressure. The big games don't feel like big games to him. He's money. When, when every time it's on the line, he's money. And he throws it plenty and is – dynamic in terms of creating time and space in the pocket and create, you know, buying something, buying himself time and, and finding the open guy. I mean, he's just, so there's just so much there on both these guys where I, I don't know what John Dorsey is going to do. I don't know what he should do. It's just a question of what your taste is and what flavor ice cream you want to order. Yeah, it really is because I think they have a great staff there. You know, Hugh's done this a lot. And I know the record the last year or two and whatever, but the reality is, is they got some really good players in that building right now. They're going to get some, I think they're going to crush this draft. My prediction is that everybody gives them, ranks them the, the, the best draft. Now they have a lot of picks too, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I think they're going to get some great young talent in there, some guys you can play early, because there's just a lot of them in the draft this year. And this is, this is a new season. And I, I just think that Hugh is such a great communicator. He knows so much ball. Uh, Todd Neely coming in. He's just done this before. A ton out of Matt Castle, a ton out of Kurt Warner at the end of his career. Obviously with Big Ben these last couple of years. Todd Haley is just such a fantastic play caller. He understands situational football so well. Um, and then Ken Zampese is a guy I keep talking about. He's the quarterback coach they brought in. I played for him in Cincinnati. And whatever anybody, anybody wants to say anything nice about me and my football knowledge, he's the guy I learned the majority of my football from. Wow. And um, unbelievable teacher of the game. And so you just you look at this and I go, 
you know, it just depends on with that collection of coaches and with the personnel that they have. I think both these guys uh, are going to thrive in a small market. I think they can play in big markets too. I just think they're kind of blue collar guys and don't need the flash and the sizzle. You got some great talent around them that, yeah, I I think it's a really hard decision for them. Now, Jordan, one of the things you mentioned was that in your mind, loving the sport, caring about the sport is a prerequisite to succeeding in the sport. You said football has to be the only thing that you care about. And the one thing that people have said about Josh Rosen, true or not true, is that it's not the most important thing to him, that he's very worldly and well-rounded, which is a great thing. But can he succeed at the next level, even though you haven't trained with him, but you've observed, knowing that football might not be the only thing that he cares about? Yeah, you know, I, I and I don't I don't have a ton of insights on Josh. I have spent a lot of time with him. Um, Look, I, I think you're right on. I mean, this is a really well-rounded kid. This is a kid that would be successful at a lot of different things. And when there's nothing else to talk about and we just grind and dive super deep on these quarterbacks and over and over, then there's going to be a bunch of stories around how that's a negative. I just, I just think it's a positive. I think Drew Brees is incredibly well-rounded. He's a great businessman. He's got four kids, five kids, something like that. Mm-hmm. He's an unbelievable husband. He's super philanthropic. He does a lot of things. He's a good golfer. <laughs> I mean, Drew isn't 24-7 football around the clock, but when it's football time, Drew is completely locked in. And I can go down the list of all these guys, right? Mm-hmm. And with Josh, he has the ability to be a great businessman down the road and be really philanthropic, and he'll probably be a great family man when, when that time comes. And he has all the tools to be an unbelievable quarterback in the NFL. And I think Josh... Once he gets into the NFL, I, I think all of these things are going to go away. I think he's going to be all in on football. I think he's going to really, um, you know, just just in, immerse himself in the the X's and O's of the game. He showed so much t- on tape. I mean, the A and M comeback, all that stuff. There's a guy who, you know, he. I think he wants it all on himself. I think he wants to have to win the game. And there's so many of those traits that I see in Rosen that I think are going to be. Uh, they're going to be exceptional. And so as these teams dive deep, they're, they're going to weigh those pros and cons. But the reality is, is I hope he goes to a team that supports him down that path that allows him to just go all in on ball. Because if he does, he's going to be a superstar. And the last quarterback in this class that's considered a top-ranked prospect is Baker Mayfield. And again, what have been your observations, knowing you haven't trained him like the others, of Baker Mayfield? You know, with Baker, there's there's so much you can, you can talk about. You know, he's put good... He's put bad stuff out there, right, with having issues off the field. But people have to remember this. This dude was a walk-on who won the Heisman. I don't know if I'm ever going to see anything that impressive again. I mean, a walk-on and he won the Heisman? I I actually think after – and I've broken down this guy's tape. You know, my brother and I break these guys down. And um, I was in Idaho this last weekend with recently retired Carson Palmer, which is uh, – it's kind of a fatter – uh, grayer, more bearded version of the <laughs> player Carson Palmer. Yeah, actually, really interesting. And um, and and we kind of passed through our stuff, and I'm going to keep some of it to ourselves. But I, I think we both are on the same page. I think I think Baker's going to be a baller. I do. I think it's going to work. And I think similar to Josh, is, you know, my comment I made about Josh is it, when he fully immerses himself in it. Um, I think he's the kind of guy who's going to fall in love with the idea that all he has to do is football 24-7 and he's going to run a complex system just because the NFL is more complex than than college in Oklahoma 
and I think he's going to get challenged by it. And when this guy gets challenged, he, he kind of just dominates. And uh, I think I'm going to end up, you know, being a fan of, of, of Baker and, and be one of those guys that I always make sure I'm watching when he's playing. So you think all four of these top-rated quarterbacks are all going to succeed at the next level, all four of them? Yeah, I do. Obviously, it comes down to situations and who goes where. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I do. I, I think there's, it's a really eclectic class, right? I mean, there's, there's pros and cons on all these guys. And, um, and you know, I have to try and remove bias if possible. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think they all have a special something that you need. And, um, you know, I had a, a longtime guy who's a legend in the space, and uh, and he and he came up to me and he said, uh, "What do you think the most important thing is in finding a franchise quarterback?" And I gave some to my different versions of it, you know. And he disagreed and he said, "They just need magic. That's all they need." <laughs> and so ever since then, I've kind of had my magic detector on, and uh, I just think they have kind of different versions of magic, and it's just going to come down to getting to the right spot, the right situation with the right staff around them and um, putting them in a position to succeed. And I, unfortunately, I see a lot of guys that should be great that go to situations and it's just a struggle for them. You know, Alex Smith had seven coordinators in seven years and Bortles, the guy that I've worked with, has had, you know, different coaching staffs and different philosophies come through there. And so it isn't always just, you don't just get drafted and then play 15 years for the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, Brady's had a lot of different people around him too, and he's thrived in every situation. So, um, a lot of it is around the surrounding uh, cast, um, but it really does come down to the kid. And, and uh, I think these four guys have uh, enough enough magic with uh, given the right circumstances and supporting cast around them. I think they're going to be in a position to succeed. Jordan, we appreciate you taking some time today from your busy schedule and providing us with some of your magic. Thank you very much for that, Jordan. Yep. Thanks, Adam. Mr. Brent. Only for you, Schefter. Only for you. <laughs> well, it is my honor. I've wanted to do this for a very long time. There are not many opportunities that one gets to speak to an 85-year-old living legend who has done so much for the game. The man who basically helped invent computers and scouting, the 40-yard dash, changed the way evaluations are done, brings players to the combine every year, brings players to the draft every year, shows up on Sirius NFL Radio that's a lot of stuff there, Gil. I sound like I'm busy. <laughs> you are, and that's I'm why I'm... To, I'm trying to mirror you, uh, but I'm not as good at uh, fantasy football as you are. <laughs> yeah, well, I get my tips from you, and I appreciate all of them. So I want to ask you this. we got the draft coming up here in a short period of time. If you were running a football team the way you once did back in the day for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, their chief talent scout, their head personnel man, who would be the one player in this draft that you would say you had to have? Well, I think the one player in this draft that you have to have is really the running back, Barkley from uh, from Penn State. I think if you take the numbers uh, that lead to success, and, and by that there's six traits or characteristics in a player. All players have those same six, six characteristics, but the the value of certain ones is more. As an example, mental alertness is much more important uh, to a quarterback than it is than it is to a, a defensive lineman, and so if you take these numbers and meld them together, uh, the guy that has the best chance of becoming a Pro Bowler, a All Pro, 
uh, is Saquon Barkley. And so if you went with the computer, uh, that that's who you take. Now, let me, you know, go back and tell you that the computer has pulled a lot of guys out. It's pulled the Harvey Martins out. It's pulled the Thomas Hendersons out. Uh, guys that uh, you don't think that much. The the main player that it pulled out for the Dallas Cowboys uh, was Tony Dorsett uh, in, when we drafted him. And you drafted him number one overall, correct? I remember no. you making a trade with Seattle. Is that number one or number two, Gil? No, it was number two. Number two. And we made the trade predicated on Dorsett being there. So we make a trade. We say, here's the deal with our guy being there. If not, it's not a trade. And and Tampa, uh, we we felt for sure that McKay would take a, a running back. We just didn't know if it was Ricky Bell yep. or if it was uh, Dorsett. And so in the talks leading up to the up to the draft, uh, Red Hickey uh, was a big uh, Ricky Bell man. Mm-hmm. I was a Dorsett man. And and Coach Landry listened to both sides of the the stories, and he said, "Okay, Gil, take the numbers on." And we had this about two foot uh, depth, uh, uh, all the probabilities of a player making the team, and so forth. And so he said, "Let me have Ricky Bell's." Well, Ricky Bell had zero chance of, of being an All Pro. He had like a two percent chance of being a Pro Bowler. He had like a 45% chance of being a starter on a championship team. And so then Tom said, okay, now give me Dorsett. Uh, Dorsett had a 100% chance of being a starter on a, uh, on a, uh, on a championship team, a 100% chance of being a pro bowler, and a 100% chance of being all pro. And the famous statement that Red uh, Hickey, who had been a head football coach in the National Football League, said, I bow to the machine. Wow. And, and so that the system is predicated on past success and failure of players by past history with grades that you give them. And that was the 1977 draft, for those who don't remember. Were there any quarterbacks in that draft that you even contemplated at number two, knowing that you were going up for the running back if he was there, Gil? No, I don't think there was any that I remember that jumped off the charts right at this time. So if you were talking to the Cleveland Browns and they were weighing – Saquon Barkley, who you say is the guy that you would have to have in this draft, versus the value that a quarterback brings, what would you tell them? Well, I think that what you do is is you know you kind of, in their case, I think you play the devil's advocate uh, because uh, I think if you take a quarterback at one, you're going to get Barkley at four because I think that this will be the third time in history that we'll have three quarterbacks drafted one, two, three. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if for the first time ever we have quarterbacks drafted one, two, three, four, with the possibility of Cleveland trading out of that spot uh, is what it is. This is going to be one of the most exciting, intriguing drafts of all time because of all the variables. You know, right now the New York Giants hold a lot of cards, but I would, uh, I would, uh, I would, if, if a player is in the same plateau, is what I'm trying to say, Adam. Uh, you know, then I, then I take if, if if Barkley was my fourth ranked player, and and uh, and I felt that a quarterback, uh, because he handles the ball every time, because of longevity, is more important to your team uh, than a running back, even though the running back is going to succeed uh, at probably a higher level. Uh, I, I don't have any problem with taking the quarterback and then just hoping that the running back is there later on. But you think. 
QBs will wind up going one, two, three in this draft? I think QBs will go one, two, three, and maybe four. possibly four, and 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 we possibly could have five drafted because of a guy named Jackson uh, that's in there. Now let let me go back and and let your people understand a little bit about the things that you do. Yep. You know, everybody, we started measuring hands in the mid-60s of quarterbacks, and everybody kind of laughed, and this is a joke, measuring hands. Let me tell you, since 2003, there's been eight quarterbacks at the Combine that had 10-inch or bigger hands. Matthew Stafford, 10 inches, mm-hmm. Pro Bowl. Tyrod Taylor, 10 inches, Pro Bowl. Andrew Luck, 10 inches, Pro Bowl. Dak Prescott, 10 inches, Pro Bowl. Carson Wentz, 10 inches, Pro Bowl. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, 10 and an eighth, uh, uh, Pro Bowl and Super Bowl. R- Russell Wilson, 10 and a fourth, Super Bowl and Pro Bowl. And last but not least, Nick Foles, 10, foot, 10, 10 inches and five eighths. Wow. Uh, he uh, not only went to the Pro Bowl, he also won a Super Bowl. So I think that, you know, we talk a lot about 40 times. Uh, and they are important, but there's a stat right there that if you can get a quarterback that has a 10-inch hand, uh, past history tells us that uh, he's going to go and be a pro-, pro Bowl player. So who's the quarterback with the 10-inch hands in this year's draft? Gil? I don't think we have one. I don't yeah. think we have one this year. So in other words, all the mothers out there trying to raise quarterbacks, make sure those hands grow, stretch them out, feed them vegetables, do exactly. all sorts of things like that, right? Exactly right. Uh, Gil, you have done this since the 1950s, uh, when I guess Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch helped bring you aboard as a right. scout with the Rams. And then you became a player personnel director and GM of the Cowboys in 1960, if my math is correct. Yes, you're right. What is the biggest change that you have seen in the way scouting is done and evaluations are done since 1960? And we're talking here 58-plus years. Well, let me let me just say this to you. It's it's uh, it started uh, like a uh, one story motel in some remote town in Montana, and that's now like the Sears Tower and still growing. You know, we the Cowboys in 1970, because of the fact that there was the draft took place. I think one year it took place 11 days after the after the championship game. And so we would uh, we started this to this program that we called off season information, mm-hmm. which is now pro days. And uh, the first place we called was Rudy Feldman at the uh, University of New Mexico and said, "Rudy, you know you're in your off season program right now. Can we come down and 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 time your whole team?" He said, "Yeah, but why do you want to time a whole team? Well, this way all your players will think they're pro prospects." Mm-hmm. And he said, that's a good idea. Yeah, you can do that. And so we went there, and that started what is now Pro Days. I'll share a story with you that's pretty interesting. Uh, Ohio State, Coach Woody Hayes. Uh, Coach, can I, uh, on Friday, I know Esko Sarkinen uh, during the program, uh, he times everybody on Friday. Can I go over to the field house? No, no, if I did that, I'd have to let all the rest of these guys do the same thing. The phone rings. And it's the guy that owns the Big Bear, not the Big Bear, but the whatever that rest chain of restaurants, Big Something, okay. and uh, in Ohio. And uh, and Coach Hayes says nine hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand. Oh my gosh! He said, "Yeah, thank you." He hung up the phone. He said, "That was so and so." 
and he said he just gave us $900,000. We can put an artificial field down. And he says, go do whatever you want. And, and so I went over to the where they were timing, and uh, and they, they had a guy named Anderson from Pollensby, West Virginia. Yep. And, you know, they were ran in, in alphabetical order, and, of course, Anderson was first. And I'm sitting there at the finish line. I'm at the, right right above the finish line in the first row. And uh, they yell out, 4-4-5. I look at my watch. I got 4-7-5. I said, boy, something must be wrong. And, and so all the way through this first line, uh, all these times were much faster than my time uh, was. And so what happened is uh, Dick Nolan was, a, was one of our coaches and left to become the head coach of the 49ers. Well, because of the time that we had on Anderson, we had rejected him. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, and, and he, Nolan, drafts Anderson on the, on the first round. And uh, Coach Landry, as you only can do with his arms folded, said, uh, are you sure you know how to time? I said, Coach, I know one thing. I was the only man there, and so I think I know how to time. Well, what happened, my time was even slow because the guy ran like 4-8, and the 49ers didn't even sign him. They let him go, their first-round draft choice. So wow. that's an example of how things have changed. And, and, one of, and, and of course, one of the things was that uh, uh, Nolan told Landry was, uh, oh, uh, Chuck Terundolo, who was a former player in the league and a former coach in the league, uh, he timed him in that time. I said, there was no Chuck Terundolo there. Uh, I was the only guy there. So, that, you know, that's, that's what's happened now. As an example, uh, they had Pro Day uh, last week at uh, South Dakota State. South Dakota State had seven tight end coaches from the National Football League there. Seven tight end coaches go to Brookings, South Dakota. That gives you an idea of how competitive this league is and how thorough everybody is today. Hmm, unbelievable. It's changed quite a bit. Gil, as you look back over time, and there's been so much that you've done, you were inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in 2015. We've got Bill Belichick lobbying you for the Pro Football Hall of Fame where you belong, I believe, as well. What are you most proud of when you look back on this career that spans back to the 1950s? Well, I'm most proud of the fact that I was uh, with a franchise uh, whose owner, Clint Murkison and, and Tex Schramm uh, and Tom Landry, kind of let us be forerunners and not do it the way we did it yesterday. And so I think we revolutionized a lot of things. As an example, measuring hands, timing of 40s, uh, the, the vertical jump, uh, you know, all of these things. Uh, a system that, that was in place, not just say he can play or he can't play uh, or he's a third rounder. Uh, you know, we, 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 everybody now has a grading system. And the grading system was originally uh, brought about by us. And, and, and we, it took us a great deal of time to do it because we had to establish what a grade meant. And in order to give that person that grade, we had a written description of what it was. So you couldn't say, well, in my heart or in my stomach or my gut feeling is that he's going to be a lot better uh, than this. So I'm going to give him a better grade. And that grading system pretty much holds true today because otherwise what you had is you had an offensive line coach go out there and you'd have them, they'd draft seven offensive linemen uh, if they could because he, the offensive line coach or position coach, whatever it may be, uh, wanted to say, well, I got uh, three guys that are starting. 
that, that were rookies that we got in the draft makes him look good and makes his chances of becoming a head coach become much more viable. Do you ever sit back and look at all you accomplished now? Do you allow yourself a moment of time, as busy as you are, to do that and reflect on all the good that you've done and the great career you've had? Well, I, you know, I'm still pretty active. I, I know that. I, I was at two pro days last week and, uh, and so forth. So, you know, I, I don't know if there's time to sit back. Uh, but, you know, more than anything, I enjoy doing this podcast, what I'm doing right now, except that I'm only going to do it for certain people. And <laughs> and, uh, and you're one of the few I'm going to do it for. And, and as far as radio and so forth, uh, I appreciate all that, those opportunities. But uh, I think I'm, I'm just I'm having too much time fun changing what we did starting in 1962 to make it modern day. You know, you if you if you if you don't change, you end up being like A and P and Montgomery Ward. You end up being the leading retailer at one time, and then all of a sudden you're out of business. And I don't want to be that guy that's out of business. And that's why you're on Twitter, tweeting all the time. That's why you're at the Pro Days. That's why you're interacting and know all these young prospects, their high schools, their coaches. There's nobody that I know. And the mothers. And the mothers. There's nobody that I know that knows all these things about all these players like you do. If I threw out a prospect right now and I said to you, where did Saquon Barkley go to high school and what's his mother's name? You would know it, right? Well, he played for the Zephyrs is is where he uh, played for. Uh, and and uh, you know it's it, it's the same hometown in uh, in Pennsylvania uh, that uh, that uh, uh, Matt Millen went to school at. Wow! See there there you go. So let me ask this: You talk about evolving. When Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys in 1989 and fired you, what did you think would become of your life at that time, Gil? You know, I didn't think I was too young, and 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 I'd saved some money, and. Uh, uh, I was too young to uh, really think that uh, I was ready to retire and go f- start fishing uh, or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, uh, thanks to Greg Aiello, who had been with us, because uh, he called me and said, uh, you know, we'd like to have you come up here to New York. Uh, we're going to do something at the draft this next year and and like to tell you what it is. And so we started uh, thanks to Greg Aiello and the National Football League having the draft on on the internet, and it was interesting because I said, you know, what what? How many people do you think will respond to this? Oh, well, if we have five hundred, that'll be really well. <laughs> I think we had twenty five thousand the first day, and and uh, it it was uh, you know it just keep growing from there. And I marvel today at Twitter uh, people that. Uh, 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 former players uh, in the league uh, that tweet me, uh, you know, the, the Biscuit Bennett, the linebacker. Yeah, Cornelius hear, Bennett, yep. Yeah, I hear from him a lot. I hear from coaches a lot. And so it's really interesting. And, you know, we put up a lot of interesting things. You know, yesterday we put up something that since 2006, there have been 15 quarterbacks drafted in the top five. Of those 15 quarterbacks, only three have advanced to the Super Bowl. And it's really two because Carson Wentz would have advanced, but because of the fact he got hurt, didn't play in the Super Bowl. But so only Cam Newton and Matt Ryan, out of those top, out of those 15 that were drafted since 2006, have ever made, have ever made the Super Bowl. So that tells you how hard it is uh, to be a quarterback and be a good quarterback. So you live in Texas, and obviously was a, were a major part of the Cowboys for a long period of time. 
What is Dallas as a host city going to be like for this year's draft? Off the charts. It, it, it'll be uh, it'll be an unbelievable scenario. What's happening? And 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 you know you have to go back and give Peter O'Reilly, who's who's the vice president of events for the NFL. Uh, we are going to announce tonight twenty-one players uh, that are going to be there. Uh, we're going to probably have twelve to fourteen head coaches, such as Nick Saban, uh, the Ohio State head coach Peterson of Washington, uh, there, and and I think we'll probably have over a period of, of three days, we'll probably have close to a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people wow. uh, there at the draft. And and let me take you back to the first draft with the Cowboys that I was active at. And it was after the 1960, end of the 1960 season, the Green Bay Packers and the Philadelphia Eagles. And we drafted in Philadelphia uh, on the day after that game. And I think we had six writers uh, there uh, at that uh, draft meeting, uh, drafting session, I should say, uh, at, at the hotel there in town. Uh, and, and look what it's now. You, now you get... 2,000 writers at the Combine. Well, Gil, it's an example of how the sport has grown. And I would say, I look back, first of all, I used to, I was one of those kids that would stay home from school on Tuesday and Wednesday when the draft would be held in the morning and would get underway at like 10 a.m. Yep. Eastern, right? And I would stay home and listen to it on the radio. And I would, those are the only days of school that I ever missed as a kid to stay home and listen to the draft. And then I think about going to the Combine as an actual reporter in the early 1990s. And I was one of about seven or eight reporters. You can name you the had people to stand against the wall and uh, yeah, in the, the Holiday Inn, in the Holiday Inn, right, and flag yeah. the players. And and, uh, and uh, we we had uh, we were not uh, re- we were not media friendly. Uh, Gene Babb, who ran it, Duke Babb, who ran it, uh, said, "Well, you can have ten players a day, and that's all." And uh, we said to him, "We said, you know, Duke, I don't know how much money you're making now, but it's probably twice as much." That you'd make you would you're making if it weren't for media exposure, huh. uh, and so we actually ended up being had a room where we could actually bring them to, and uh, it was it was kind of a circus because you know are you bringing what time is so and so getting here? Are you bringing so so? You 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 went through it. You remember? Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. You'd wait all day for people. You never yeah. know who was showing up. It was disorganized. There was no rhyme or reason to it. Gil. It was terrible. It wasn't disorganized. It was. It was. We were at the mercy of, 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 of the teams, the, of, the, of the doctors and the hospital. Right. And so, uh, you know, we we tried to say uh, Cam Newton will be there at uh, two o'clock, and if the doctors kept him, he might get there at five o'clock. And uh, so it was uh, interesting from that point. But uh, the way they've got it now is really great because they they just marched the whole group yeah. over there. Everybody and goes. The whole group now. Uh, you get a chance to talk to them all. Gil, one of my favorite features in any magazine is this thing that Esquire used to do more regularly than it does now called What I've Learned. And it speaks to wise people and, and who have been around for a long time and learned a lot. And I guess I would love for them to do you in that magazine, but being that they won't, I'm happy to do it. So my question for you after all these years in the NFL, after this glorious career, what have you learned about being around football? I know it's a very broad and vague question. But what have you learned? You know, Adam, I, I, I've learned that uh, that it, it's a, a people business, uh, and you, you have to meet them all, treat them all good on the way up, because you have to meet them all on the way down. And I'm shocked. I'm shocked uh, 
Uh, I was uh, in a restaurant in Big Sky, Montana, about two weeks ago. All of these, and and I walked into, the, I was walking out of the restaurant, and a man stopped me, and he said, "You're Gil Brandt, aren't you?" And I said, "Yes, sir." And he said, "Well," he said, uh, "I'm I'm a big football fan," and he said, "Boy, you do a great job." And I said, "Well, thank you." I said, "Where are you from?" I'm I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. Oh, I see. So I I think that what we've done and what I've witnessed is the spreading of this enormous uh, event uh, that's taken place. You know, this first Super Bowl I was at was the first one, and uh, they had about as many people and there was about as much exposure uh, as there was to the Oregon State-USC game that was played there earlier in the year, and uh, Oregon State was not very good. And one of the things that came out of it now, you know, the prize possession it used to be called the Commissioner's Party. Now it's called the Friday Night Party. Yep. Uh, it was that first year uh, when when Roselle uh, did this. He said to Kensel, he said, we've got to have a party. Uh, and so he sent uh, Jim Kensel to Kinko uh, to uh, get some invitations printed up. You know, you, you give a guy a piece of paper, and on it it says, party tonight, Sheraton West Hotel, 9 o'clock. And that was the start of it. And you know what is it now? People, people, you know it's 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 the badge of honor uh, to be able to go to the Friday night party. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's obviously you've you've witnessed the growth of the entire league. You've presided over it, and you've presided over the growth of the draft. And I commend you on a glorious Hall of Fame career that, again, should be in Canton right now. That should have you in Canton. Well, I commend you because. Uh, you were able to get a lot of good information uh, when you were a writer in, in Denver from Mike Shanahan. <laughs> well, it wasn't for Mike Shanahan, Gil. It was for the Denver Post and Rocky Mountain News. But I got to work directly with Mike, and I got to work around a lot of great people in that organization. And I, I am grateful to all the people that have gone on to great things. You talk about relationships, and I talk about the men that were in that locker room that I got a chance to know and cover and learn from. And that was the greatest classroom to ever be in to spend 16 years on one beat because you learned everything that you needed to know that you deployed today. It's just on a much bigger level. It's a national stage. The sport is much bigger. But everything goes back to working in that locker room and being around those people and seeing how everything operated. I'm so grateful for that and for people like you. You know, I'll I'll tell you a quick story of Shanahan. You know, Shanahan's wife's maiden name is Brant, but no relation. Yeah, yeah, I know, because people always thought you were related to him. I know. But anyway... uh, the University of Florida job came open. And everybody used to call me and they say, well, you know, what about this guy? What about that guy? And uh, so they went about trying to hire Charlie Pell. And and uh, Charlie Pell called me and I said, Charlie, don't let the plane leave the airport there in Greenville, South Carolina. Stand in front of it, but take the Florida job because it's a great job. And he said, okay. A day later he called me and said, I've taken the job. I need an offensive coordinator. Can you help me? And I said, listen, there's a guy coaching at Minnesota. Yep. His, his name is Mike Shanahan. He's making $14,000 a year. Can you pay him more than that? <laughs> yeah, I can pay him more than that. And that was Mike Shanahan's first break because he went from 14000 uh, to $75,000 a year as the offensive coordinator at, at, uh, at, uh, at Florida and developed a quarterback that had been an eight-man football player. Now, see that it's unbelievable. So, and how many recommendations and deals have you done through the years, Gil? About a hundred. Yeah, a hundred thousand or a hundred? <laughs> no, I, 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 I tell you, 
speaking conservatively, yeah. that I was directly involved in, as, as an example, the hiring, the first hiring that Nick Saban got as a good job at Michigan State, uh, that type of thing. Mac Brown, uh, so I, Patterson, who's now at TCU, uh, and I think I've helped a lot of uh, assistant coaches uh, get better jobs, and I'd like to think that I've helped people like Bob Quinn, uh, who's the director, who's the uh, general GM. manager of the Detroit Lions, uh, and and really nobody knew about him, uh, and uh, we were able to work out a, a deal with Ernie Acorsi to get him the job. Hmm. See, that's what people do, and that's the relationships that you've built. That's your contribution to the league. That's your legacy, and that's why I am honored for you to be on this podcast and to have me as one of those guys who's been green-lighted to speak to. Anytime for you, my man, anytime. Hey, Gil, we'll see you in Dallas. Look forward to seeing you at the draft, and thank you very much for the time today. Thank you. I hope you did. It. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I, I always enjoy talking and listening to you. I always learn. Thank you. Take care. My, my privilege. And that was Gil Brandt. And a special thanks to both Jordan Palmer, who joined us earlier, and Gil Brandt. Please tune in next week when we're back with another edition of the Adam Schefter Podcast. Thanks for listening today, everybody. Thanks for listening today, everybody.